Hi there to all my Facebook friends on a very chilly and unfortunately icy uh, Sunday afternoon uh, here in Northeast Texas in Tyler and Smith County. I believe that every county in all of Texas looks like even all of Oklahoma and perhaps other states uh, are being declared disaster areas or winter under winter storm warning. And, um, and that's, a, uh, that's quite a feat that just doesn't happen uh, very much and uh, and so it's uh, it's quite a difficult and challenging time. I hope that you will be safe. I hope that you will stay off the icy roads around here um, and I walked out a little bit and just kind of stuck my shoe out on the the sidewalk a little bit and it is slick. It is very slick. Uh, but thankfully through the wonders of um, modern technology, and uh, the internet we are able to go right on with our lessons today uh, happy valentine's day to everyone you notice i still have on my valentine's day shirt i mentioned that in an earlier video that i did this morning since we weren't in bible class or church in person uh, we did have a, a broadcast of a previous worship assembly uh, on our website at uh, 10 a.m. Actually, a little technical glitch got it started at 10.15. Uh, but I also had a, a Valentine's Day message, a special uh, uh, last-minute uh, lesson uh, from, I think, one of the greatest love stories ever anywhere uh, from the book of Ruth. And I hope that if you haven't looked at that, that you will, uh, because it truly is a beautiful, beautiful story and an inspiring uh, message not just about the the uh, love affair and relationship and marriage between uh, Ruth and Boaz, but especially the love that Ruth had for her mother-in-law Naomi uh, after uh, Naomi's husband and her two sons, one of whom was Ruth's husband, and Moab died, and then Ruth stuck with her and went home with her, and God provided for them all, and ultimately for us, as this whole story is a part of the ancestral line of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I hope that you'll listen to that message that took place a little bit earlier. You can just scroll right down on my Facebook page if you're watching this later on our West Irwin Church of Christ page, or it will be posted uh, on our uh, website uh, a little bit as well. Great to see some folks joining us. My dear sister Barbara Kasky on here. Hello, hello to you. Love you so much. Uh, my brother, Brian Brown, great to see you, my friend. Cindy and Eric with us again. Myron and Elizabeth, Larry and Lynn, uh, many of you were with us earlier today, and many of you are with us. Uh, uh, every time that I get on here, I see your names, and it brings a smile and a debt of appreciation and gratitude in my heart. So thanks for joining us today. Please stay safe. Uh, stay off these icy roads. Try to conserve the electricity that you can, because you know that it's all going to get used up. Uh, pretty quickly these days, so I hope that you'll you'll be safe. We have a we have a lot of verses to look at today in our Mark study. We're studying Mark, um, uh, very short, the shortest of the four Gospels, but also a right to the point kind of message. And so today I want us to look uh, at the last passage in chapter four, but especially focus on uh, what happens in chapter five. That that incident that happens at the end of chapter four that shows the power of Jesus. And as we read the incidents, uh, the account of that instance, and also Jesus' interaction in miraculous ways uh, in chapter five, the question comes, who is this? Who is this? Um, and, and what am I supposed to do about it? Both of those questions find themselves in this story, these stories in Mark, the end of chapter four, 
and in chapter five. So I hope that you will ask yourselves that question as well. Who is this, uh, this person, this Jesus? And um, what, what am I supposed to do about him? I think that was the question uh, that uh, these people asked when they were around Jesus. So let's uh, look at a few things first of all. Uh, at the end of Mark chapter 4 is that instance with Jesus and the storm. And uh, it, it is something that uh, is, is quite amazing. Uh, if you do much sailing or if you do much uh, uh, out on the, on the sea at all, boating, skiing, fishing, then this story probably means more to you. But try to put yourself in the first century. Try to put yourself in the boat with these apostles <laughs> because this is, uh, this is quite a scene. Uh, really, especially when you realize that this boat that they are in is probably no more than 30 feet long, uh, probably 8 to 10 feet wide. Um, it, it just doesn't have all the nice bells and whistles uh, that my brother Wayne's boat might have uh, and that we tend to take for granted these days. It's uh, far, far different. Um, and and this, the storm that comes up is far more threatening and yet at the same time, the one who is in the boat uh, is uh, the master of the sea. Um, so let's read it in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were, other, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, I believe that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. In the midst of the storm, Jesus sleeps because he, he, he could. He wasn't worried at all. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Or in the words of the old song in the old translation, peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And we remember the great old hymn, the winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace, be still, peace, be still. I love how that chorus builds and builds to the very end uh, and then it just announces again uh, how um, everything and everybody uh, will ultimately one day sweetly obey the will of Jesus Christ. Um, here we see that happening in real time. Uh, Mark records what happened that day and, uh, and, and it's interesting to me uh, that some have said uh, God is in the boat. And that's what happens here. God is in the boat. And it's interesting, as terrified as the disciples are of the storm in this little tiny boat, they're more terrified when Jesus comes on the scene and calms the sea and the wind and the waves obey his will. That's what they. this passage ends up with in verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Uh, some have written, David Fleer has written, maybe we're afraid that if Jesus is God, that we can't domesticate him, can't put him on a leash, can't treat him like a servant and give him a to-do list for the day. 
Maybe we're afraid that if Jesus is God, then he is in control and that he'll act in his own good time. Maybe that is why we are afraid. In the midst of our fear, Jesus asks, will you have faith? He is not asking that we have faith in his miracles, faith in some theological view, or even in the historicity of this story, at least at this point. Mark asks us, will you have faith that Jesus is God? Do we trust Jesus to be God? That was the age-old question, is the age-old question. It's the question that Job had to ask. Will, will I let God be God? It's the question Habakkuk asked at the time of the Babylonian exile of the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem. Will I let God be God and act based on his will and not on mine? It's what Jesus himself prayed in the garden. Father, not my will, but yours be done. In the Lord's Prayer, it almost is a, is a statement in what we call the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done. Uh, that's a hard, hard prayer to pray, genuinely and sincerely. It's, but it's when we acknowledge the power of God and we trust in him to do the right things and to take care of us, ultimately, even if we don't see it now in this moment, uh, to ultimately take care of us, then we can pray that prayer. And like Jesus, we can sleep during the storm. It's interesting how the disciples react. And again, the question comes to us, who is this? Who is this? Who is this that even commands the storm, the wind, the waves, the weather, and it obeys him? Um, an amazing story. And then we get to Mark 5 and another very familiar story or two or three uh, that mean a lot to us. And Mark 5 brings that out with this first story of Jesus and this man called Legion. And if you remember the story, you know why he was called Legion, uh, but uh, we'll read it and see for ourselves. Mark 5 verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This was a dangerous man and everyone feared him and rightly so. He lived in the graveyard. He lived in the cemetery. He couldn't be bound by chains. Uh, the demons within him gave him too much strength. Um, when he saw Jesus, Verse six, from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Maybe Jesus had said that from a distance, knowing who he was and seeing where he was. Um, don't know for sure about how all of that plays out. Of course, some other gospel writers report about this and similar events and Jesus interacting with individuals who had an impure spirit, a demon, an evil demon inside of them. Uh, but those demons, even though they try to force Jesus' hand, he calms them, he calms them down, he commands them to be silent until it's on his terms that the word gets out who he is. And when his hour has come, as John puts it, um, but here, Jesus uh, interacts with this man who has this horrible 
uh, legion of demons inside of him. And so verse nine says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Obviously, many demons in, inside of this man, a horrible, horrible thing. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirit came, spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Well, that's a terrifying scene, but a, a wonderful scene of deliverance for this man, uh, but a terrifying scene for everyone else. Um, verse 14, those tending the pigs, of course, somebody's going to be there watching them. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Yeah, I guess so. I would, you know, kind of keep my distance, but I would want to see what happened to Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Again, just an amazing story, and it's not over yet. We'll get to that last paragraph in just a moment. But it seems just as they were more afraid of Jesus and his power over the storm than they were the storm itself, as afraid as these people were of this man with a legion of demons possessing him um, and the danger that he fraught, they were more afraid of Jesus, who had even greater power than that. Uh, Jesus is met by a scarred up, chain-busting nightmare who once was a human being, <laughs> someone has written. Well, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty big question. And then again, they ask the question, who is this? Who is this? Their amazement gives way to fear, for if they couldn't restrain Legion, they certainly wouldn't be able to restrain the one who could. Uh, they were powerless around this man with the demons inside of him. And now Jesus had calmed them and commanded them to leave him, which they did and saved this man. But now what are they going to do with Jesus? They cannot ignore such a power, nor can they domesticate him, nor can they control him. And that's what's scary about Jesus. And that's what's scary about God. We like to be in control. We like to have all the answers. We like for God to act the way we think God should act. But the question is, will we have enough faith in this Jesus to let him act the way he chooses? As you've heard me say many times, if you've been around me much, I've learned two things about God. I've learned that God exists and I've learned that I'm not him. And I might even add a third one to that. I've also learned that God can be trusted. And I think that that's the key here, is that we serve a God that is far beyond us, far beyond our abilities, far beyond our power, but also far beyond our understanding. He's given us his word, and it allows us to be able to understand enough to know that we can trust him, and that we can give our lives to him, and that as the writer of Hebrews says we can believe that he exists and that he keeps his promises. He's a rewarder of those who seek after him. And that's what we 
can do. The question is, how will we respond to this Jesus? Will we respond the way these people did, who were afraid and who said, look, we need you to leave. We, we can't, can't deal with this. Well, let's read the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, because there's still this man, this legion, without the demons. Because they see him clothed in his right mind, sitting there with Jesus, and they're scared to death. But what about the man? Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And we're thinking, wow, what a great opportunity. Jesus can take him. He can witness kind of like Lazarus, you know, that they wanted to kill because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And this is going to be great. Boy, what a Jesus can start off the discussion and then he can introduce Legion and then he can come up and tell his testimony and then Jesus can finish things out and, and millions of people will go forward as we sing 180 billion verses of just as I am. Okay, maybe I'm being a little sarcastic there. That, that's what we would expect, right? Here is this man comes and he says, I want to go with you. And we ask ourselves, well, why wouldn't he go with him? What's there for him? Everyone knows who he was. Everyone knows his story. Why wouldn't he want to leave? I would, wouldn't you? And we would think that Jesus would say, you know, you're right. You can do me a lot of good uh, traveling with me as one of my followers. Um, and it's going to be hard for you here. But just like when Isaiah raised his hand and said, here am I, Lord, send me. After seeing that great vision of God on the throne in Isaiah 6, God told him it's going to be hard for you, Isaiah. They're not going to listen to you. And it's going to be hard, um, but if you want to come, then come on. Well, Jesus looks at this man and does something very, very similar, except he doesn't tell him, I want you to go for me. He tells him, I want you to stay here for me. Again, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, those 10 cities, uh, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. What a, what a story. Jesus heals this man. The man says, let me go with you. And we can kind of hear beside between, read between the lines. In between the words, him saying, I, I, I don't want to stay. There's nothing for me here. But Jesus tells him, and he tells us too, no, no. First, start at home. Start right where you are. Start with the people that know you and love you and even know your story. They know what you've been through. They know your faults. But they can also hear the message of how Jesus has come into your life and how he has delivered you and how he has blessed you and how you want him this same Jesus, to be a blessing to them as well. That's what Jesus calls this man to do. That's what he calls us to do as well. And it's interesting, as we read through these stories, and even later on in the stories to come, so many times Jesus or an angel or someone will say, don't be afraid. You know, when people come face to face with the power of the living God, it scares us, and it should. But we hear the words of Jesus, just like he would say later on to his disciples when he appears to them after his crucifixion and resurrection, before his ascension, 
One of the first things he tells them is peace be with you. Don't be afraid. And, and he tells us that same thing today. Even when we come face to face with his power and as Isaiah did, his holiness and our own sinfulness, his message to us is the same. Be at peace. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I am here. What a great, great story. Well, the next two stories kind of interlap. Um, and one of the stories, in fact, you could say both of the stories, but especially one of the stories seems to interrupt the other one. Um, and so we'll start reading now in Mark chapter 5, these familiar stories in verse 21, stories that indicate, again, Jesus' incredible power, that call us to ask ourselves, who is, who is this and what will I do with him? When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, after being in the area of the Decapolis, the ten cities, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Very important man. Very faithful man, obviously very respected by the Jews being in that position. A large crowd, verse 24, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, of course. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, or since she was 12. Again, these, uh, uh, these, some of these terms are hard to define. They don't change the story at all. Uh, but they provide some details. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. <clears throat> Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. We understand that, right? We understand that frustration of having some disease, some medical condition, especially these days, that you just can't uh, deal with. And there's not any special uh, care that a doctor can give you uh, that will demonstrate to you uh, healing. That's what this woman had experienced, and she spent every penny she had, and it only gotten worse. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What a great moment of, of faith for this woman. She she knows she doesn't even have to ask Jesus. She she knows the power is in him and if and if she just touches as the the uh, traditional translation goes the hem of his garment. If I just touch the edge of his cloak, a piece of his clothing, his power will save me. I know it will. I know it will. And we could also add that she was likely thinking Jesus is my last hope. Verse 30, when she did it, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and, and yet you can ask, who touched me? <laughs> and, and they have a point. <laughs> I mean, there was a big crowd around Jesus at this time. They'd heard the stories of what he'd already done. Many of them probably had seen some of those things that he had already done. And so they're all there just traveling with Jesus, pushing on each other, just like we would see today when a celebrity uh, is out amongst people. Uh, that's This is that stage of Jesus' ministry. And yet he stops dead in his track. And he says, who, who touched me? And the disciples are incredulous. They're thinking, are you kidding? Everybody touched you. 
And Jesus said, well, no, someone, some very special person touched me. Their faith touched me. They touched me with faith. Verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she knew she had been healed came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth he said to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace and be freed from your suffering jesus frees her from her physical suffering but jesus by stopping and interacting with her and for all eternity paying homage to her because of this story uh, he blesses her in a way even far more than just the physical healing but what great blessings of spiritual and emotional healing come from this moment as well. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Remember, oh, Jairus, remember, that's where this story starts. And then this interruption with this woman. And now back to Jairus. Some people came up to him from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? He's too late. He's too late. And we're reminded of John 11 and those, those fateful um, words that Mary and Martha both bring to Jesus when they run to meet him after he had waited four days to get there finally to where Lazarus was, four days too late after he had died. And both of the girls, both Mary and Martha, both of these women come to Jesus and they say, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And that's what's happening here. They tell Jairus it, it's too late. He didn't get there in time. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Again, don't be afraid. Who is this Jesus? Who is this great and incredible power that can calm the wind and the waves and the sea and the storm that can incredibly heal this man possessed by all these demons so destructive? Uh, that can bring peace into his life, that can heal this woman who had been had this bleeding disorder for all these years without even knowing that she had touched him and that he had healed her until after uh, the fact. Now, they Jesus tells him, don't be afraid, Jairus, just believe. Hang in there with me. How many times does Jesus tell us that when we think it's a lost cause, that it's too late? And Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, just hang in there with me. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. It's interesting that these three, Jesus' inner circle, the 12 apostles are the inner circle. This is the inner, inner circle. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, perhaps even greater than the others, not greater in the sense of standing, but in, in some kind of emotional closeness to Jesus, he describes himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, but Peter, James, and John go in. And remember, this James is James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. James, this the first apostle who will be killed for the faith, as reported by Luke in Acts chapter 12. These three, Peter, James, and John, uh, go with Jesus here into Jairus' daughter's room. These three, Peter, James, and John, go up on the mountain of transfiguration and see him transfigured before them and see Moses and Elijah there conversing with them, according to Luke, about what was about to transpire in his passing. 
And then also, of course, Peter, James, and John going a little bit farther with Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane than the other nine apostles. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Verse 39, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Of course they would. They knew she was dead, but not in the eyes of God, the creator and the sustainer and the giver of life. Verse 40, they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Can you imagine this 12-year-old girl? So many we see on Facebook at times or we know about in our church or in our own uh, families of a child that's sick. What a there, There's nothing worse than a child that is sick. There's nothing worse than a child that passes. I can't imagine. And we all know some, some recently. And they're in our prayers. And we pray for them and we pray for our family and for our children, for our grandchildren, um, that God would be that hedge of protection. But we also know that this world is unsteady and uncertain. And so we look to the one who can calm the wind and the waves. We look at the one who can call the demons out. We look at the one who can bring healing to a, a woman when no one else can. We look to the one who can give life to the dead. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to rock, walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. That part we get. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> it's kind of like what he does when uh, Paul raises Eutychus, uh, this boy who fell and, and fell to his death uh, in, in Acts chapter 20 in, in Troas. Um, and, and they after that, they, they have a meal together. Uh, Jesus in demonstrating his resurrected body is really him uh, to the disciples. Uh, there at the end of the last chapter or two of the Gospels, he tells them, well, do you, do you have anything to eat? Um, throughout the book of Luke, Jesus ate with the disciples and with others. Um, and such a great lesson there for all of us, the fellowship that comes from eating together. And we so look forward to the time when we're on the other side of the threats of this pandemic. And, and we can do that much more and be able to share those meals and fellowship and hugs and handshakes together. We'll get there. We'll get there. We may not be quite there yet, but we're getting there. And we know that in the meantime, the same one will be with us just as he was with all of these. Uh, Jesus heals this woman when she touches the hem of, the, of his garment, but then he goes on and just as he did with Lazarus, standing outside that tomb in John 11, Lazarus, come forth. He calls this girl forth as well. And she comes and she lives. Who is this? We ask. He can heal indirectly, uh, even without purposely, purposely in extending his power, just as he did uh, with the woman who had been uh, sick with that bleeding disorder. Uh, who is this? Um, he even heals this girl, raising her from 
the dead. This is one of only three instances of resurrection that Jesus does that we read about specifically in the Gospels. He raises Jairus' daughter here, the daughter of this synagogue leader. He raises the son of this widow from Nain uh, that we read about in Luke chapter 7, her only son. And Jesus sees, comes upon that uh, funeral procession uh, and again an interruption uh, goes up to it, touches the body, touches the casket, calls forth this boy from the dead and raises him. And then of course in John 11, Lazarus. And we could say to some extent Jesus himself because in John 10, Jesus says, uh, look, I, I am the one, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. And if I lay down my life, I'll raise it up again. And, and we know, we know that that's exactly uh, what happens. So the question is again, who is this? Who is this that can calm the wind and the waves? Who is this that is more powerful than the weather? Um, who is this that can call demons out of a man that no one else could touch and everyone feared? Um, who is this that can heal this woman of a bleeding disorder without even knowing that that's why she's there? Uh, without even purposely calling her out and saying, here, I give you my power, but rather she just comes and touches the hem of his garment, the edge of his cloak, and because of her faith and because of the power of Jesus, is healed. Who is this that can even raise a child from the dead? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And again, what, what will I do with him? What do you, what do you want with me? Jesus. And Jesus gives us the same answer that he gives to everyone. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to share this message with whatever circles you find yourself in, whether it's like the man possessed by the legion of demons right around your, your local home, or whether it's like some of these apostles that are experiencing all of these things, uh, who will end up leaving their homeland and traveling and preaching the message of Jesus and what he means to them. Uh, what does Jesus want with you? Well, we know one thing for sure. We know what he doesn't want. We know that he doesn't want you to be afraid. We know that he doesn't want you to be in conflict within yourself because he comes to you today just as he came to all of these with the same message. Be at peace. Why are you so afraid? You have no reason to be afraid. You can trust in this Jesus because he loves you so deeply. You can trust in this Jesus because he's more powerful than any other force that's around in this universe, known or unknown. And our answer is not that different from the answer that he gives to, to Legion there towards the end, in the, or towards the end of that story in Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, when he tells them, look, go. I just want you to go and tell the people around you, tell the people that you know, tell the people that you have the opportunity to. Tell the people that I sent you to, whether it's right around here or who knows where. I want you to tell them about this one who has healed you, who has cleansed you, who has given you peace. Because he can give them peace as well. May God bless you and may God bless us all.